Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. Take your Bible and open to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. This is our, our last Sunday on the uh, Who's Your One theme, but like I said, our, our display is going to remain up until uh, we uh, find those that we've been praying for, until they come to the gospel, and uh, as a reminder for us to keep on praying that even though we find one, and perhaps that one uh, comes to the Lord and, and begins uh, the discipleship process of following Jesus, that there are other ones that need the gospel, and so want to continue to pray and encourage you to pray. Uh, next Sunday will be, I believe it's in 1 Thessalonians. So what we're about to do next week, just to give you a heads up, is our D groups, which are our small two to three, five members of discipleship groups. Um, they have been from the beginning of the year reading through the New Testament, and we are going to pick up where those groups are. So that's why we're jumping into 1 Thessalonians next week. And then we'll continue reading through the end of the year, and we'll finish the year uh, in uh, the book of Revelation. So this morning, though, we're in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Are you familiar with the classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Yeah? Okay. I used to think my folks were weird for watching that one. It was black and white. There's no, uh, well, at the time, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, computer-generated uh, graphics and special effects going on. But uh, when I began to understand the story, um, I began to enjoy the movie uh, and the story that is there, that no matter how bad the outlook might be, especially from the decisions that we make and the way we pursue living our life, every person, every heart is significant to the heart of God. God has placed you where you are for a purpose, his purpose. Not just some random purpose, but his purpose. For what would Bedford Falls be like if George Bailey was never born? There's a man by the name of Peter who we've talked about already a couple of weeks ago. His name was Simon, brother of Andrew. And if Andrew had not found him, Peter perhaps would have never written these words to the church. Don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, each one of us is created in his image, and though that image has been marred by sin, in the sending of his one and only son, Jesus, God has done everything to redeem and restore that image. Today in our text in John chapter 1, what we find, starting in verse 29, is that to come, see, and stay in the presence of Jesus leads you to find, tell, and bring your one to Jesus. Look at verse 29. I'm going to be re begin reading there, and I'll read through verse 42. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, that is John the Baptist. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, 
because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, also means rock. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and the good news that is the gospel of John, written so that we may believe that life is found in Christ Jesus and in Christ alone. Lord, as I've already prayed, we pray again. Open our hearts that we would hear what you are saying to us this morning. Open our ears. Lord, that we would hear the truth and that the truth would work in us to repair that image that has been broken and marred by sin. That we would leave this place a bit more like Christ than when we entered. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The man or woman, friends, that comes, sees, and stays with Jesus will be led to find, tell, and bring others to him. That's the wonderful life. Verses 35 through 39, it's evident the grand narrative of Scripture really has one of the great moments because of the handoff that takes place in verses 29 through 39 with John the baptizer, John the Baptist, John the the prophet. He is the last of the old prophets. Even though there was a quiet time of some 400 years, he is the last. He's not a... Though he's in the New Testament, his job is to point forward to the one who is to come. He's really an Old Testament kind of prophet. But he is the last one, and John sees the fulfillment of all that was promised by Moses and the prophets before him. You remember on the road to Emmaus uh, that we find that story in the Gospel of Luke, and there Jesus is telling those two men he's walking with, Going back, it says, going back to Moses and the prophets, he began to explain everything. Yeah, John is here, and he sees everything coming to fulfillment that has been promised up to this point. And so John is standing there with these two disciples, one of which is Andrew, and he looked at Jesus and he says this, Behold the Lamb of God. Friends, when we're thinking about our one, Biblical proclamation of the gospel is one of the needed methods of evangelism. We think of guys like Billy Graham, 
Franklin Graham, um, uh, uh, Greg, uh, Greg Lawry, uh, that's out in California that's done some of the Harvest America events over the last several years. We think of people like that. That's needed, right? So long as they're preaching the real gospel and not some showy stuff like you see on TBN, but the real gospel is being proclaimed and lives are really being changed. That is one of the great methods of evangelism, but that, and that's what John was doing. He was out on the corner or out in public and he sees Jesus come by and he says, behold, look, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's good news. Look right there in your vision, right there in front of you. This is good news personified. He is here, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's testimony was this. There's one coming after me that was before me. Folks, we have to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. Now, if you're walking around with the spirit of Eeyore, you're probably not going to get that question too much. Hey, why are you so hopeful? Well, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, if that's you, wake up, right? Jesus gives you hope. You're full of hope. Don't forget the hope that is in Christ. But we always have to be ready to give that answer for the hope that is in you. That is the hope of knowing Jesus Christ and the hope that is to come in him. Peter wrote the church, this one, the, the one of Andrew. He wrote the church and he says, in your Christ, in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense or give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And do it with gentleness and respect. Friends, you've in your heart, this is a command, right? In your heart, honor Christ the Lord is holy. How do I do that? By being ready to give an answer for the hope that I have in you. So listen, if you're walking around in the spirit of Eeyore, woe is me. You're not setting Christ as holy in your heart. Because when you set Christ alone in your heart and he is on the throne where he belongs, he's set apart and you have hope. Because no matter what's going on around you, he's always there. He is in command. He is in charge. Nothing happens outside of his knowledge. And he is walking you through that storm, through that trial to make you look more like him. Listen to the witness of John again in verses 32 and following. John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. He says in verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Friends, witnesses point to Jesus as the sacrificial lamb of God provided by God himself. That is what we do. That is why we are called to honor Christ as holy in our heart, set apart, and the preparation we make to give an answer to anyone who asks for the, the reason for the hope that we have is because then at that point, the answer is Jesus. We point them to Jesus. We show them Jesus. And because of John's witness, two of his disciples, for the second time, hear John call out Jesus as the Lamb of God. They heard his witness. John says, 
I didn't know who he was, but the one who sent me said that when I see the spirit fall on him or descend upon him, then I'll know. He said, I saw that as of the baptism. He sees it. It happens. This then is the son of God. There is no doubt about it. So his witness, John's hope, the reason for John's hope is, be, is right in front of him. And he says, look, the lamb of God. And then these two disciples Verse 37, follow Jesus. Jesus, knowing they're there, he turned and struck up a conversation. What are you seeking? Friend, that's a question we all need to answer. What are you seeking? In thinking about your one, what are they seeking? What are they looking for? We're all looking for something. We're all chasing after truth or whatever that might look like. But you'll notice that to be a Christian, friend, when you're sharing the reason for your hope, but to be a Christian is to follow Jesus Christ. That's the invitation. Follow Jesus. Look what he says. What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. You come that invitation is an invitation to follow Christ. Think about that word, come. What does it mean to, to come? It means to move or travel toward or into a place thought of as near or familiar to the speaker. So here is Jesus saying, come and see. Come from where you are now to a place that I will show you. All right? In John's gospel, there's often times a a couple of different ways you can see what, what John is writing. You can understand it. One, there's like the literal physical view. Yes, come to the place where I am staying. But also behind some of, in John's gospel, there's this other kind of, it's not a hidden meaning, but it's, it's a secondary meaning or maybe it's for primary meaning and the, the physical is the secondary. And here it is, come and see. Come from where you are in lostness and come and see life. That's ultimately where John's gospel is taking us. Come and see from where you are, dead in your sin, to life. That's the whole reason he wrote his gospel, so that you would hear these words or read these words and believe that life is found in Jesus Christ. Those are his words. So Jesus says, what are you seeking? Come, you follow Christ. It is impossible to be a Christian without a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no Christianity. There is no evangelism. There is no discipleship. There is no worship apart from a relationship with Jesus, whereby you come into that relationship with him as your shepherd. You are his sheep. You are his learner, his disciple. He is your teacher. Here's your Lord. You can put on a good show. You can clap and raise your hands and do all those things. But without Christ, without Christ, then you would hear the words, depart from me, for I never knew you. But I came to church. Good point. But I never knew you. But I, I did all the churchy things. I raised my hands. I clapped. I even put an envelope in the offering plate. Good, good points. Yes, good points. I was trying to live a good life. I was always trying to do, do good. I mean, I paid my taxes on time. I mean, come on, that's something, right? I mean, you did say give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, Good point, good point, but I never knew you. Because there's no relationship there. There's no trust. It all happens in Christ. Look at Romans chapter five, if you would, for a moment. 
Your homework this week, I'm about to assign it. Ready? Listen to Romans chapter five. I'm gonna read verses one through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given to us, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare to even die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Here's your homework. How many times in those 11 verses does Paul point out that salvation is in, through, by Christ? There is nothing without Christ, without this invitation to follow Christ Jesus. So what are you seeking? What or whom is your one seeking? That is an all-important question. You see, some folks are trying to escape from hardships. You'll look for anything you think is good news to relieve that hardship. Some people have been looking at the bottom of a bottle for years, thinking that that bottle is going to solve all their problems and it only opens the door for more problems. Some think a little pill is gonna help them. Some think some other, you know, whatever else we could possibly find, we try to escape from all the hardships of this life. And by pill, I mean drugs, illicit drugs. Friends, following Jesus doesn't always lead us away from hardships, but rather it leads us into trials. Because that is where endurance is produced. That is where perseverance happens. That is where hope is realized. You think the disciples in the boat in the storm and Jesus is where? Sleeping. He never promised them, you'll go through this life with no storms on the water. It's all good. Peaceful sailing. Happy times. He was sleeping. And they thought they were dying. Well, the reality was as they were dying in their sin. And yet here comes Jesus and he speaks to the waves. And in that moment, they realize, whoa, we just learned something deeper about Jesus. But they, you can't learn that stuff if you're not with him. They learn there that he can control the wind and the waves and that they obey him. Some others are looking for wealth or prestige and power. These are common things, right? Career success, lifestyle at a certain level that make us comfortable, and yet Jesus calls us to a radical surrender. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Some are looking for peace, and they find peace in the activity of Christianity, but there's no relationship with Jesus to know real peace. 
We just want to come to church and find peace for our troubled soul as if church attendance would bring it for us. But peace is only found in knowing Christ Jesus. Seeking after Jesus himself, peace is actually one of the markers of the manifest presence of Jesus. When you're in a relationship with Christ and you're spending time in prayer, how do you know when his presence is there? How do you know when he is making his presence known? It is because there is an overwhelming sense of his peace that cannot be explained. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. What are you seeking after? Jesus told his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry about all that stuff. All the things of the world. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you're seeking after the benefits of dabbling in religion or, or church here or there, but he calls us to follow him wholeheartedly. You're not going to find what he can offer if you're just dabbling in it. You've got to be all in. To follow him means that we confess our sin, repent, and believe on Christ for salvation every single day. That he will bring pardon in, that he will grant peace, that he will give rest, he will bring purity into your life. Cleanse you from all that unrighteousness and that sin. He'll give you that new heart as the scripture promises, and that he'll put a right spirit within you. That is the Holy Spirit. And with Jesus, it's all there. So he says, come, come, and you will see. And so Andrew and the other disciple, they go with Jesus. And if you look back at our text this morning, what do they do? They spend the night. Could you imagine the conversation they're having with Jesus? It was late in the day, about the 10th hour, so they stayed with him. Could you imagine the conversation? What questions Andrew and the other disciple must have been asking? Oh, to be a fly on the wall. To be a fly on the wall. When you come and see, that's an invitation to be taught by Christ. Come and see. They address Jesus as rabbi, rabbi or teacher. That means they're submitting themselves to his leadership as teacher, they being the student. Friends, that's it. Once we are saved in Christ, that's not the end of the story. That's only the first open door. That's the launching point for the rest of our lives. It is essential that we begin to learn then from Jesus. It's the reason our D groups meet. It's the reason we have life groups reading through the New Testament this year. We must be in the word of God. The first disciples traveled with Jesus for three years. They learned from him. In John chapter 18, verse 37, there Jesus is on trial with Pilate or before Pilate. Pilate's asking him questions. He says this, so you're a king. Jesus replied, you say that I am a king. But then he says this, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Not my podcast, not my latest book, not my latest Lifeway Bible study, not political chatter, not the latest breaking news cycle, my voice. You're not going to find his voice anywhere but here. This is his word, not my word. It's not your word. It's not Crossway Publishing's word. This is the word of God. This is where we find the voice of Jesus. Particularly, we find it in the Gospels. We hear his voice. We are looking for truth. We find truth in Jesus. And if we're people of the truth, then we're listening to his voice. 
The most important truth Jesus taught was about himself, who he is, and what he was going to do and ultimately did for our salvation. Perhaps even seen best in the I am statements of John's gospel. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate, the door for the sheep. But he also taught us how to live and love one another with humility. He prayed for that in John 17, our unity. To walk by faith and not by sight. To speak the truth in love to one another. And then he compared obedience to the wise and foolish builder, right? The, the one who listens to the word and does the word, obeys the word, is like the wise builder who built his house on rock versus the foolish builder who hears what's said, but he's not paying attention. He doesn't listen, and he builds his house on the sand. The same storm comes, the same winds blow, one falls and crumbles and the other stands. Kind of makes me scratch my head about, why do I have a house built on sand in Rockport? I don't know. Hopefully the foundation counts as the rock there. But friends, one of our great problems today is our ignorance of the word of God. Let it not be said of Coastal Oaks Church what is said about Israel in Judges chapter 2, where it says that another generation after them came who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. They didn't know the work and the word of the Lord. So we come, we follow, we see, and we're taught, and then we stay. The next level of following Jesus is perhaps one of the most important. The two disciples asked Jesus, where are you staying? The word right there is staying. And then later, also in that verse, it says, so they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed. Three times we hear that word staying or stayed. That word is the same word we find in John 15 where Jesus says, abide in me. Abide, stay. Friends, the next level of following Jesus then is abiding with Christ. Abiding with Christ. In the revelation to the churches, the, seven, the letters that are written to the seven churches there, it's the same little tagline in each one of them. After they give their warning or, or their encouragement, it says, to the one who overcomes. Friends, the only way we overcome, the only way we endure, the persevere, is by staying or abiding with Jesus. The only way we produce disciples slash fruit is by abiding with Jesus. He said so in John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The point being to follow Jesus involves a close personal relationship. Hear the word of Jesus again. He said, abide in me and I in you. What is the reason for your hope? Jesus. Jesus. The most obvious way we abide with Christ Jesus is by spending time with him in prayer. We go to him in his word, we listen to his truth, and then we speak back through prayer. He speaks to us through his word, we speak to him through prayer. If you want to be strong in your faith, 
if you want to know the love of God more deeply, if you want the power for the peace and godliness and joy that comes with knowing Christ, then there are no shortcuts. There are no secret formulas. Only a life that is committed to discipleship and abiding in Christ, trusting in his blood for your salvation and the forgiveness of your sins, learning from his word and abiding in his presence through prayer. That's the way he laid it out for us. And that's the way we walk. Think of it like this. Leave a dinner plate out tonight or after lunch. It's fine, too. But if you leave it out overnight on the countertop, what's it look like in the morning? Pretty hard and crusty, is it not? A little bit harder to clean. Oh, I should have cleaned that pan of spaghetti sauce last night before. Yeah, that's not going to be easy to clean. But an alternative to scrubbing, right? Good old elbow grease and scraping off the dirt, which is what religion says to do, scrape off the dirt. A solution to that is to soak the dish in hot water with soap overnight. Letting a dish abide in that solution will allow the hard cleaning job to become easier. That's what abiding does for us. It's not that we're trying to clean ourselves up. Christ does the cleaning as we abide in him when we hang out in the right environment, which is abiding in Christ through his word and in prayer. Even though religious says, scrape off the dirt and apply a little elbow grease to fix your problem, the relationship says, soak, abide, stay with Jesus. Sit in the hot water for a while. Friends, when you abide with Christ, he will set you free. The result as we abide with Christ, as we come and follow and we see and learn and we abide and stay with him is that the new person comes. There's a new person in Christ. And when the result of following Jesus is a new person, again, hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Andrew having spent the night in fellowship with Jesus and the other disciple, immediately goes out the next day and does what? Gets a cup of coffee for Jesus. That's what I would have done. He goes to find his brother. Look at it. Verse 41. He first found his own brother, Simon. First thing in priority for Andrew the next morning was to go find Simon, his brother. Not because Simon was closer to him as in first in proximity, but first priority for Andrew was to find Simon, his brother. Not only did he find him, but he witnessed. We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. We have found the Messiah. As he finds his brother, Simon's life is going to be changed forever. And we find here, which we've already covered previously in another week, is that Christ Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And when that happens, he changes your life. Simon, his life is forever different from this moment forward. He gets a new name. His name's going to be called Cephas or Peter, which means rock. Yes, Simon Peter is going to mess up big time. But he will eventually pin these words to the church. He says in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, you yourselves 
are like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You, to the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Friend, if you... If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ this morning, in a few minutes, we're going to have a time of invitation and response. Today is a right time, this morning, this moment, right now, that you would call out to him for salvation, that you call out to the Lamb of God who will take away your sin. And in Christ, you are forgiven, justified before God, you will be set on a course of discipleship and life change for the glory of God and your good. Now, part of that life change is that you will begin to bring others to Jesus. You see that in Andrew's life. He spent time with Jesus. He heard, he listened, he learned, and then he went and brought one to Jesus. Friends, we are now called to bring our one to Jesus. We have found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. A quick look at Andrew, and you'll find a man whose name means manly. Andrew is a manly man, right? He's actually kind of a quiet giant of the faith. He really is. You'll not hear mention of Andrew really outside of the Gospels. You'll hear of the disciples or the apostles, but by name, specifically like this, we'll not find any more stories about him. But it is Andrew, this quiet giant of the faith, early on, who three times in John's Gospel is singled out for bringing people to Jesus. What more is needed? What more is needed? Verse 41, you see, he went to find Peter. First, before doing anything else, first thing of priority, he went to Simon Peter, his brother. There are other times, the two other times where Andrew is mentioned as bringing one. You might recognize that story in John chapter 6. There's a whole mess of people, like a Friday night football game, crowded with people. And they're hungry. And Philip is doubting the possibility of being able to feed them all. We don't have enough money in the treasury. There's just no way. We don't have enough food amongst ourselves. We weren't prepared for this. What are we going to do? It wasn't on the calendar. And here comes Andrew. Andrew found one boy who had five loaves of bread and two fish. And he brought him to Jesus. What more is needed? And John chapter 12, as Jesus is in Jerusalem and he's there, there's a great flurry of activity in the week of the Passion Week leading up to the crucifixion. And there, there are Greeks who are looking for Jesus. And somehow they know that Philip and Andrew are connected to this guy. And they say, sirs, we want to see Jesus. And it's Andrew that takes them to Jesus. He was the one who brought people to Jesus. Notice a few things about him. Because he is not mentioned anywhere else, he goes on to, church tradition says that he takes the gospel further out. 
like they all did, but really, when compared to Simon Peter, Andrew took a back seat. Andrew wasn't supposed to be the rock. Andrew didn't get a new name, by the way, Cephas or Peter. That was for Simon, his brother. But Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. What happens if Simon Peter doesn't come to Jesus? Those are those who are concerned about their own place or the importance, the recognition of ministry or, or who they're going to be in life, building up their own kingdom, find it difficult to be like Andrew. Peter is the servant with five talents in that story, the parable that Jesus teaches. Andrew is the, the servant with two. doesn't mean he's less important. For if Andrew, again, had not found that first one named Simon, where would the rest of us be? Peter was the public proclaimer of the gospel, while Andrew seems to be the personal witness of the gospel. You might know the name Charles Spurgeon. If you don't look him up, you'll be fascinated by the way God blessed his ministry. But we know him in the professional, uh, call it with quotes, preaching world and studies of theology. We know him as the prince of preachers. He was a preacher in England back in the 1800s. So prolific was his preaching and popular uh, in his church, 3,000 people every Sunday. And I don't know how he did it without any kind of microphone or amplification. Only God knows. But they would, they would print literally thousands of copies of his sermons, manuscripts, Sunday afternoon into Sunday night, so that by Monday morning, those sermon manuscripts were distributed all over England. Thousands upon thousands would read his sermons and still do to this day. I look at least one a week to see if he's preached on the subject that I'm preaching on. But his preaching and teaching still have a profound impact upon many in the faith, especially young preachers. But for somebody as so well-known as Charles Spurgeon, we don't know the name of the preacher who was preaching when he was converted. Who was that guy? Does it matter? He was kind of like an Andrew, a personal witness to the gospel. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart. What an important word. So we are called now to find our one. In verse 41, we're also now called to tell them about the Messiah. Notice what Andrew said. We have found the Messiah. They've been waiting, which means they've been waiting and looking for the Messiah. That's why John used that word. It's intended by the, the word found. Is, it intends for us to understand that they have been looking and now they have found him. John proclaimed him. John the baptizer proclaimed him. Andrew saw him, goes to tell Simon, we have found him. Here is the Lamb of God. Friends, this is the gospel that we share, that what Christ has done. But we also have a personal story of what Christ has done in our life. Preaching is important. It's vital. It is a vital link to spiritual growth. But it's not the only thing. Proclaiming publicly the gospel is important. It's vital to the church. But it's not the only thing. It might be that God has ordained a time for you to speak with your one and for you to share the reason you have hope. You don't share the reason I have hope. You share the reason you have hope, but it does happen to be the same reason, Jesus Christ. You share with what he has done in your life. 
Abiding in Jesus isn't hiding in Jesus, friends. We are in his marvelous light to proclaim his glory and his greatness. So we tell them. And then verse 42, we bring them to Jesus. Look again at verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. You know, in English, that means he brought him to Jesus. Folks, Jesus builds his church one one at a time. And this is that kind of personal evangelism where we bring them to Jesus. Andrew sought and brought Simon to Jesus. Flash forward about four years of the book of Acts records that these disciples of Jesus has, have overturned the world or they've turned the world upside down with this gospel they're preaching because they're bringing people to Jesus. Friends, you have a great opportunity in just about two or three weeks. We know it as Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. It's a great opportunity not to just ask yourself, hmm, who's my one? But here's the next action step. Invite your one. I will preach the gospel on Easter Sunday morning and as simple as I can. But they can come with you. You can sit with them and you can bring them to Jesus that morning. Pray up, invite them and bring them to Jesus. Let me share with you in closing the importance of one. George Bailey didn't understand the significance of his life until Clarence came to show him just how important George Bailey was to Bedford Falls. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You can count the apples on a tree, but who can count the apples in a seed? Just one. That's how it goes with your one. Andrew brought Simon. Simon Peter preached and 3,000 were saved at Pentecost. And the church continued to grow significantly under the shepherding of Peter. How do you know what God plans for him? Your one or her, your one. It could be that your one is the next Lottie Moon, or the next Adoniram Judson. If you don't know those names, go Google them. It could be that they're the next missionary, the next preacher, the next church planter, the next church revitalizer, the next evangelist. You just don't know what God can do and what God will do with your one. It could be that your one is the next one in the church who will commit her life to rocking the church babies until they're old enough to go to toddler class. Those people have an important role to play. Those little ones know that this is a safe place. My daughter, Carolyn, was rocked by a lady in one of the churches that I served in while I was in seminary. She had rocked every baby in that church and faithfully served in that rocking chair, in that nursery for years. And it was a safe place. You just don't know what God will do with your one. Don't write them off. You ever heard of the name Edward Kimball? He was a Sunday school teacher. In our context, we'd call that a life group leader. But he was a Sunday school teacher who not only prayed for his class of hyperactive boys. Can I get an amen? If you've ever had to pray for a class of hyperactive boys, by the way, don't let that deter you from volunteering for vacation Bible school in June. But he committed in that prayer time to seek out each one of those boys and to win each one of them to Christ. One of those boys didn't seem to understand the gospel. And so Kimball sought him out at the store, the shoe store where he was working. And he went and found him stocking shelves 
in the back. That young man that Edward Kimball sought out was a man by a young boy who would become a man by the name of Dwight L. Moody. In his lifetime, D.L. Moody reached thousands with the gospel across continents. And under Moody's preaching, just one from that class, under Moody's preaching, another man was called to Christ. His name was Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman became an evangelist who preached to thousands. Another one who attended one of those meetings under Chapman was a man by the name of Billy Sunday. He was converted under the gospel preaching of Chapman. And Billy Sunday picked up the mantle of gospel preaching and evangelism. And under his tenure, a man by the name of Mordecai Ham was saved. That's a funny name. From the preaching and ministry of Mordecai Ham, one by the name of Billy Frank, also known as Billy Graham, came to faith. Dr. Graham literally has preached the gospel to more people around the world than anyone else who ever lived, including the Apostle Paul. But it all began with a faithful Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball, a layman, a volunteer, not the pastor, reaching out to one boy who was hyperactive and couldn't pay attention. Friends, you just don't know what God will do with the one. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website, coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord.